some of you, as we talk about the suffering of Christ, or even as uh, we go to Good Friday, you might come away feeling uneasy as we look at Christ's suffering, or we remember his sacrifice. And why do we have to talk about that so much? I mean, it just doesn't feel good. Um, well, why can't we just get to the resurrection and new life? And, and you know, this, this, this suffering isn't easy or enjoyable. But I believe there are at least three goals uh, in mind for us in studying the suffering of Christ. And you're going to see those goals in this message this morning as well. So why study the suffering of Christ? Well, my hope is that in studying the suffering of Christ, we will first of all realize the seriousness of our sin. That's the first point. Realize the seriousness of our sin. That we won't assign evil to others without admitting that we carry the same sin. And that we realize the seriousness of that sin. Secondly, by doing this, we'll have faith in God's plan for our lives. Faith in God's plan for our lives. We'll see that God is in control even when we perceive there to be chaos in suffering and trial. That we see His plan. And then thirdly, that it will fill us with a gratefulness for His extravagant sacrifice. A gratefulness for His extravagant sacrifice. And so that's why we're going to focus on some things that might be hard to stomach. Because I believe that we need to. Um, We need to get an accurate picture of God and of ourselves and why we need this sacrifice. Otherwise, we will live as slaves to lies that don't lead us to the life that God has for us. And by the way, Jesus did not come to help us feel good about ourselves and our lives. He didn't come just so that we could receive His benefits and His blessings. And we we do receive His benefits and His blessings. And we do celebrate that and we do give thanks for that. But Matthew one twenty one says, Mary will give birth to a son and give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so we need a Savior because we're sinful. And... You know, you might not hear the word sin in churches, in some churches these days, um, because it's offensive to some. But we're going to say that word here because it's true and it's necessary for us to know, to face this reality that we're sinful through and through, though we don't want to, to face it, we need to. Um, now, usually when you think of sin, you think of breaking rules. You know, maybe lying or stealing or committing adultery and so forth. And those things are certainly sin. But as we read our Bibles, we see that these things are symptoms of a bigger disease. um, That we have rebelled against our Creator. And so we believe that God created the world, that He owns all things, that He is the Lord over all things, and that we owe God the glory and the honor in our lives. As Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So the essence of sin is our refusal to give Him honor. 
It's our rejection of Him, our rebellion against our good Creator, of which the individual acts are sins or expressions. Now, in our days, some people uh, may laugh off sin as an old-fashioned notion that just takes the fun out of life. But if you look at it deeper, if you look at what sin does in our world, I don't think you feel that way. Because it destroys marriages, it cripples babies, it triggers wars, it can cause horrible pain in our world. The moral decay of sin uh, can, can affect so many things. Torture, pol- pollution, rape, greed, all these things. And so we have to face this reality that we live in a broken and sinful world and there's no one righteous. And our sins condemn us to death and hell. And we need a Savior. We need a Savior. And so one of the reasons Jesus came was to save us all from sin. And that would be the best gift that God could give. But eliminating sin would not be easy. Because sin is powerful and it's hard to kill. And so it would require a supernatural war with a high cost. It would take incredible suffering to fight and to win against sin. Look at Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14. And this is eight centuries before Christ. We get a description of that battle. Isaiah 52, 14 says, Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. An incredible, accurate prediction. And it continues in chapter 53. Let's just look at chapter 53, verses 5 and 6, which I think are remarkable. It says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so this is ancient poetry written 3,000 years ago, 800 years before Christ, that predicts Jesus' suffering to save his people from their sins. And so we see that this is God's plan, that the Son would suffer for you and I, and that our sins required his blood. We could blame Pilate for making him suffer. We could blame the, the Jewish leaders, perhaps, But Jesus would not have suffered unless he was willing to suffer according to God's plan. And so the king of the Jews, the king of the kings, lays down his life willingly. And after his trial, which was before Pilate, he was flogged and then he was handed over to be crucified. And let's see what happens next. The soldiers mock Jesus. Matthew chapter 27 And we'll start in verse 27. It says, Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. 
After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. So this kind of cruelty is is probably foreign to us. But I think you have to understand that a Roman soldier could not have gotten a worse assignment than Judea. It's a hotbed of constant rebellion and unrest. And the Romans want to maintain control. And so they have developed cruel punishments for anyone who shows rebellion against Roman rule. And it was highly effective. One of the punishments was flogging. And if you read and study about how the Romans flogged and beat people, it would make your stomach turn. And and I could talk more about that this morning, but it's not in our text, and I want to focus on some of the things that are in our text. So just know that Roman floggings were brutal. Brutal. And in most places, under Roman rule, a flogging or a crucifixion or two would go a long way in keeping control over the people. But in Judea... It was different. The Romans were so hated there that even harsh punishment didn't stop the rebellion. Some days uh, we read a Roman soldier might crucify people all day. Uh, These soldiers weren't concerned with politics. They didn't care about religious subtleties. Their job was to punish rebels against Rome, and they were eager to do it. And the harsher the punishment, the better because then the less rebellion they would have to deal with. Now, if you travel to Israel uh, today, you'll find the Via Della Rosa in Jerusalem. Haven't been there, but I've read about it, and there's a path that it was, it's thought that Jesus walked on his way to the cross. And along the path, there are certain places or stations that are remembered today. And, and near the beginning... There's an ancient building that has a carving etched in the floor, and it looks like this. Um, It's kind of hard to make out exactly uh, what that is, but the carving depicts something that was played in that day by the Roman soldiers to relieve their stress. And if you dig into this and research it, it was called the Game of the King or the Game of Kings. And the soldiers would dress up their prisoners and then they would cast lots, uh, kind of like rolling the dice. And then uh, the prisoners were put in a circle with spaces on it and then they would move, move them around one space at a time, kind of like a, a piece on a Monopoly board. Does this sound familiar? Yeah. This is what they did to Jesus. It was a game of mockery. It was a sick entertainment for sadistic Roman soldiers. And so um, as we read our passage, they put a scarlet robe over Jesus uh, to look like a purple robe, which is worn by royalty. And uh, remember, this is after the flogging. So imagine the pain of a rough cloth on open wounds. Um, You know, sometimes maybe you and I get sunburn on our shoulders and it hurts even to put a shirt on. But but how much worse to be whipped and then covered with a tunic. And then we're told a soldier twisted a makeshift crown out of a vine with thorns. And uh, artists have usually depicted the thorns pointing inward and pressing into Jesus' skin. And the Bible doesn't say if the thorns pierced him or not, but I think it's, it's quite believable that they did in the midst of this cruel game. 
And then we see another soldier places a wooden staff in Jesus' right hand as if it were a royal scepter for a king. And then the game reached its peak when the soldiers press in around Jesus to taunt him. And these big soldiers knelt and mockingly they say, Hail, King of the Jews! And then we're told they stood up to spit in his face. They grab a wooden staff and they slam it hard on the top and the sides of Jesus' head. Kind of like hitting a tree with a baseball bat. And so this crowd of soldiers had a good time mocking Jesus. Just for the fun of it. But as you read that passage, do you see the irony in it? Do you see what's happening here? The King of Kings... Mocked like a criminal. And then they put a crown on his head. How, how appropriate that was. And, and if you read your Bible, you see in several places that thorns represent sin. And so here we have Jesus with the sin of the world placed on him. And, and the crown is an even more fitting symbol because it represents the suffering king of Christianity. That Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so then these soldiers mockingly kneel before him. But you know what? They're going to kneel before him again. Philippians chapter 2 verses 10 and 11 tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So these soldiers will bow before Jesus, along with you and I. But this next time, they will not be mocking. My point is that the king was in control before. He's in control now, and he will be in control then. Jesus had predicted his death by crucifixion for a long time. He he knew it was coming, and he went voluntarily because God had planned this from the beginning. Now some of you might be thinking, well, how do we condemn those who tortured Jesus while insisting that it was God's plan in the first place? And if you're thinking that, that's a good question. Um, Have you ever had someone mistreat you and then found out how God had used that for good? Or uh, maybe someone fired you from a job and then you found a job that was so much better. Or maybe a fiancé broke up with you and that opened up the possibility for you to marry someone that was a thousand times better. I'm just trying to, to give examples of how these conflicting things happen at the same time. Because God used the sin and the cruelty of Jesus' enemies to have Jesus die on the cross and to atone for human sin. It doesn't excuse these soldiers or anyone's sinful motives or behavior. Uh, They were definitely wrong for what they did. But God used their wrong for our good. And it was the plan before Jesus was born. Remember Matthew 1.21. It says, Mary will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so again, this is a little hard to, to take in suffering and the pain and the struggle. And we will indeed celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter. We will do that. But I don't think that we should forget the elements of the story that led up to that awesome day. 
So he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds were healed. And we might read the story of the Roman soldiers and think, you know, there's no way I would have tortured Jesus like those people. The truth is, we have that same sin in us. And if we've ever sinned, and we are sinful people, that it was our sin, it was my sin, that put Jesus there. That we did this to Him, and that He did this for us. In his book, uh, Everybody's Normal to Get to Know Them, John Ortberg tells the story of a boy named John Gilbert who was diagnosed with a form of muscular dystrophy when he was five years old. And as the disease progressed, his disabilities multiplied. Um, First he couldn't run, and then he couldn't walk, and then he couldn't speak. And he died when he was 25. But there were good times in John Gilbert's short life as well. And once, uh, when he was invited to a fundraising auction, he was attracted to a basketball that was signed by all the players of the Sacramento Kings. And he really wanted that ball. And so when the bidding began, John raised his hand, offering more money than he ever could have paid. And his mother grabbed his hand and pulled it down. But that was only the start of the story because the bids skyrocketed higher and higher. And it was way out of proportion to any other item up for sale. And finally, one bidder offered a price that was so outrageously high that everyone else just let him have it. And so the high bidder walked up front. He claimed his very expensive basketball, uh, but instead of returning to his seat, He went across the room and he placed the ball into the hands of a young man who would never play the game, John Gilbert. Later, as John reflected on that moment, he said, It took me a moment to realize what the man had done. I remember hearing gasps all around the room and then thunderous applause and weeping eyes. And to this day, I'm amazed. So, what about you this morning? Have you ever received a gift that you could never afford? Has anyone ever sacrificed so outrageously for you just to to give you a gift without strings attached? Well, Jesus did. The King of Kings, in total control, took on a crown of thorns, the sins of the whole world, to give you a sinner, salvation, and life.